Welcome to another episode of the Free Thought Project podcast. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me today is the Free Thought Project Editor-in-Chief, Matt Agarist. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Sal Mayweather, also known as Sal the Agarist. Sal is a social media star, a commentator, an anarchist personality who has a devout following, and also happens to be involved with a few other agorist projects, which I'm really excited to talk about. He is a brilliant thought aggregator. He's well-spoken and dedicated to a life of creating change by subverting, decentralizing, and making obsolete the authoritarian mechanisms that have been forced into our lives. Hey, Sal. Welcome to the show. So we've been trying to get you on the podcast for a while now, I think since like April of last year. And we've had a bunch of scheduling conflicts. Today almost didn't work out either, but we made it happen, and here we are. So thanks so much for joining us. So you've had a lot of success with social media. You really are one step ahead of the game when it comes to keeping your finger on the pulse. Not sure if you know our story, but a few years back, we were nuked by Facebook and Twitter on the same day, resulting in a loss of nearly 6 million fans. And right now, censorship fervor it's at an all-time high right now the mainstream media is uh, on a huge push to censor joe rogan do you see any end in sight censorship is you know the every day i think today like the surgeon general is talking about censoring uh spotify or something like that it's you know it's getting ridiculous at this point so the mask is off they've been revealed yeah absolutely and, and you know there's certainly no uh sort of responsibility on their end from the mainstream media you know if there's all pointing the finger towards joe rogan as if you know it's all his fault and the fact that he's uh you know platforming any type of doctors who've been censored and actually having a discussion about this stuff rather than just being force-fed one narrative you know that's the problem of course you know (laughs) but um it's like they they need a boogeyman like joe rogan is the new trump you know, they, they, the, the establishment leftist woke media like CNN had Trump to beat up on for four years and their ratings started to decline and everything. And then Joe Rogan filled this void. And so now they're just they're using him like Trump as this public enemy number one when uh, I mean, Joe Rogan is magnitudes better than than Trump, you know, when it comes to everything, basically. <laughs> uh, but, yes, yeah, it's, it's just that that's what I see with Joe with happening with Joe Rogan. You know, it's it's he's their new boogeyman for the left. You know, great point. Well, they they can't really have any dissent. Like, if you think about it, like anybody who dissents from their opinion has to go. Like if they could get rid of Fox, they would. And that's honestly, it's probably a matter of time um, until they try to do something like that. But like they in order to maintain their BS narrative, they can't have like some sort of rogue like mainstream news network that's like 
that's the end of the world for them. That's a complete that's a complete PR disaster, and they they won't tolerate it. And obviously, you know, now they're using the force of the state to prevent people from what they're saying. So it's it's gotten out of hand. But on the other side, the other on the other side of that coin, as an agorist, I don't think it's entirely negative. I think that the fact that they have become so um, so reliant on on you know this false narrative and and really what is fake news is I think it's a good sign. It just shows how desperate they are. And the other the other part of that too is you know as an agorist we see this whole the rise of of tokens and the tokenization of everything. Like we have NFTs and tokenized houses and all sorts of stuff like that. Well, we also have tokenized content now, and that is sort of like a, a wrench in their gears because now, um, you know, we can actually uh, create social media platforms and use social media platforms where we are the ones who are profiting based off of our content. Like if you look at Minds.com is a good example of this. Um, it's sort of like it's sort of helping us move away from um, this big tech censorship and big tech narrative. Also, like the tokenization of data is like sort of how they make all of their money. So by once once we start tokenizing our own data, it's going to be like a, a big drain on their pockets. So I think that the, the you know as much as they want to sort of put a, the fix on you know, the political system, I do think that there's been a lot of innovations and, and um, new stuff coming out, new technologies that's going to sort of make it harder for them and make it more likely for us that you know freedom succeeds the market always wins no matter what they do the market always wins and the best they could do is to try to sort of just mitigate its effects on them yeah yeah exactly no the market will continue to evolve and that's why we've seen so many of the smaller alt social media platforms that have uh, popped up and you know obviously we saw what happened to parlor uh, amazon didn't allow that to last very long but it's going to continue to be a giant game of whack-a-mole and they'll lose as, as you said sal i'm glad that we agree on that. I think anybody that understands market economics will always agree that the hive mind will always have the advantage, you know, depending on, uh, you know, the size of the central planners, obviously, they're going to be giving it their best shot, whether it be through privatized companies, proxy, you know, censorship, like we see right now, or, uh, you know, whether it be government itself, uh, implementing the, the censorship, it doesn't really matter one way or another, people will always find a workaround. And that's certainly one of the things that we have on our side. So, yeah, you, you've been a conduit for viral memes uh, for years. I, I've seen, you know, most of the time I, I've been around on the Internet for long enough that when I see like a meme that's viral, um, I, I've noticed that most of the time they've been posted by you first. And I, I know you have a, a large uh, Twitter following. I think when we first started talking about having this conversation, you had something like, 80,000 followers, and now you have 123,000 followers on Twitter. So you're definitely doing something right. Uh, you have, you know, a great eye for viral memes. Um, and like I said, you know, we see the patterns as to who shares things. And um, I've tracked viral memes back to your account time and time again. Um, but forgive me for my ignorance. Do you create memes or do you more, are you more just like you have your finger on the pulse of dank meme accounts? Both. Honestly, I used to make like all of them and then that got to be a little bit too much. I'm at this point I'm down to like making like 10 to 20% of them on a good day. It really depends on how much time I have. But, um, yeah, no, I, I still make them like I'm, I'd probably do like two or three a day, but the rest are usually like found somewhere or stolen or something like that. 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, that's something that we've always encouraged. You know, we've we've been making uh, memes as well, been in the meme game for years. And, um, you know, they're they're made to be shared. We want people to share them, you know, so exactly. That's that's the whole that's the whole point. Right. That's what a a meme is like. That's what the original definition of the word meme is. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, some people get a little, you know, upset about that. And I guess I could kind of understand if people are rebranding your memes, like, constantly or something. It's like, well, you lazy fuck. Like, why don't you put your own mind to the task and, you know, <laughs> right, create something? Right. But, uh, well, you know, on the one hand, I feel like, um, you know, I used to watermark my memes. And eventually I just stopped giving a shit. So I just stopped watermarking them. So it's like I'll see the same people will, like, yet will complain that I've, I've stolen one of their memes. But then I see, like, their whole timeline is full of other memes that I created or something like that, <laughs> which, you know, it is what it is. I don't I don't care. Like I said, they are meant to be shared, and, and I want people to steal them and share them and put them in your group and, you know, whatever. Do whatever you have to can to do whatever you, ha- you can to get these ideas to circulate. Right. Yeah, that's the name of the game, exactly. And, and you know, obviously it's it's not necessarily about, you know, stroking your ego here. It's like we're supposed to be kind of trying to do this to push a movement here which is the liberty movement um is there anything you could say as to like uh how to grow a social media platform effectively um or just a social media account because i mean obviously you have success here i know a lot of people regardless of what platform uh follow you is there any like tips or suggestions yeah for sure so i think the the key really is um People want content. They want content, and they don't want to pay for it, by the way. They want free content, and they want as much of it as possible. So whether that's memes or podcasts or articles or videos, whatever it is, whatever you're good at, do as much of it as possible um, because that's what people want. And, and you know, they don't, people don't want to pay for digital content anymore, and I don't blame them, frankly. So that's what I do. Um, you know, memes are a form of content, and that's sort of, you know, what I do. I also do, you know, podcasts and blog posts and stuff like that, but really the memes are, are meant to, like, draw people in, and then I sort of direct them and funnel them into, um, you know, different areas and different projects that I do. But, yeah, sure. it's all about content, and it's all about quantity and the price. People don't want to pay for it. Yeah, content is certainly king. Uh, you made an interesting point there. You said you're, you – don't blame people for not wanting to uh, pay for, um, I guess, websites or news services or whatever. And I, I definitely get that. Uh, that That's kind of the position we're in. We're kind of coming to that um, that reality. Unfortunately, you know, it's been a little challenging uh, shifting our business model. I don't know how long you've been aware of us or, or following us, but um, it, it seems like there's a shift going on, right? Like we've, we know that Joe Rogan is now at the top of, of viewers or listeners uh, way above the rest of the mainstream media. So it seems like, in a way, people are shifting away from the legacy media, traditional media outlets. Um, but for some reason, nobody's really adopted the idea of like trying to promote, support, and push alt media, and, and specifically liberty-based alt media platforms uh, and, and publishers. So that part of me, I don't really quite understand the disconnect there. Um, obviously this is a big part of what we do, but do you feel like it's maybe just because news moves so fast now that there really isn't a place for maybe smaller publishers like ourselves just because, well, we're not like, we don't have the legitimacy or the authority that mainstream media does to, to certain demographics. 
Um, and then maybe just because, you know, that things move so fast that you could get a lot of the same information from an article as you would a meme. No, no, I think, um, honestly, I think the, the biggest issue for liberty-based media companies is, is not internal, it's external, right? It's, it's the big tech censorship. I mean, I've been following you guys for a while, and you guys had a huge following, um, and then they just completely deleted everybody, right? I mean, if you can tell me if I get the story wrong, but they basically just deleted all your accounts and yeah. everybody who was associated yeah, with right. you got like kind of just purged from the internet. So it's not like, um, I, in fact, I think that the Free Thought Project is probably the the best um, liberty based media company. And there's a couple of them out there, but um, it's not internal. I don't think. I think the problem is external. Um, the only other thing on that topic is like in terms of where the revenue is coming from right like it's difficult for sort of niche based uh, firms and entrepreneurs as we are in like this sort of niche of, of the liberty movement it's difficult for us to make revenue or to draw revenue from advertising and, and things like that although you know every now and then we make a few bucks here and there from like promo tweets or you know i'm sure you put you know you put ads on on your website and stuff but I think a, a better way to do it, at least a more successful way of doing it that I found, is to have some sort of product or service that sort of fits well with your audience than to mm-hmm. offer it on top of the content. So, like, you know, like, um, like a good example would be, like, the 3D printers, right? So it's, like, it's a, it's a great sort of um, little, like business to have for if you're in like the liberty movement if you're in the libertarian community it's wonderful for that so it's it, you have to sort of gear those like entrepreneurial ventures towards your audience and i think that if once once you do that it, it does become a little bit easier at least in my experience yeah that's exactly what we talked about huh matt mm-hmm. yeah and we do that to certain to a certain extent not not as uh, as engaging as like a 3D printer sale, you know, but we offer different products and services that that support us to to our to our fan base. It's not it's not easy to to think of the right product, right? Mm-hmm. It's not it's not easy to do that. And I sort of just got lucky, you know, as an agorist, you know, it just hap- so happened to be that the timing with 3D printing and gun control and everything it worked out. Um, but it isn't easy. It isn't easy, you know. I mean. How many sort of niche businesses can a libertarian come up with? Like, you know, you have sure. clothing, you have like kratom, and you have three D printers, right? I mean, <laughs> so it's not easy. It's, it's not very easy. Yeah, no, I'd have to agree with that. And uh, you know, we've, we're certainly we're in a challenging time for the Free Thought Project right now, just trying to uh, make ends meet and find some different revenue streams so we can continue doing this full time. I, I think. We've created the value, the name brand in the past, and I think this is something that's worth upholding and trying our best to continue going here. So we're really trying to grind tooth and nail. But uh, you've mentioned uh, 3D Printer Go Burnout a few times. Um, that is your company. Uh, I know you mostly create like little trinkets and probably know very little about 3D printing, anything illegal uh, like guns. But can you tell us about the project and its focus? Yeah, yeah, of course. So the idea here is, you know, prior to 3D Printer Go Bird, the only way people could acquire a 3D printer was to use, in other words, they had to access some sort of KYC payment platform. So in other words, if they bought a 3D printer from Amazon or from, um, what's the name of that store, Micro Center or something, 
you, you know, you're using a debit card or a PayPal or some other form of payment that they could track you, they could trace that payment down if they really wanted to. Um, but that's why Satoshi invented Bitcoin. The whole point of Bitcoin, as Ross Ulbricht um, showed us with the Silk Road, is that it, if you have a peer-to-peer cash, now you can have sort of uncensorable transactions. And that was the whole idea. I was just sort of trying to extend that into the realm of 3D printers because with the rise of gun control, I think it's important that people have a way to acquire these machines which, without having to worry about, you know, hey, who's, who's watching these transactions? Who's, who's breathing down my neck? So, you know, just by using Bitcoin, that, of course, doesn't make the transaction private. You should also use Tor, VPN, try to mix your coins. But that is a sort of necessary step. It's not sufficient, but it is a necessary step to securing the transaction. So that was the whole idea. Um, And, of course, you know, the other thing, the other aspect of, of it is I want to create an economy for cryptocurrency people. So for people like myself who try to be their own bank, it's sort of difficult sometimes to find goods and services, but people don't always accept cryptocurrency. So you have to buy gift cards and there's all sorts of workarounds at all of my companies. um, The idea is that we're going, we're obviously going to be accepting cryptocurrency in the hopes that we can sort of help build and develop that counter-economic structure. The third reason for all of this is that um, I want to create opportunities for other agorists. I want to involve other agorists. So I work with other agorists who do design, and I hire them at Agora Threads to you know, come up with clothing designs and um, bumper stickers and all kinds of stuff like that. So it's really a three-pronged approach. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about how much value you can provide to the customer. So if you can't provide value to your audience, it's, it's just a, a, an exercise in futility, really. And we see a lot of that, actually. There's, there's a, there are a dime a dozen, you know, these, these sites that pop up with sometimes truth in the title or, or what, you know, like these Facebook pages or Twitter accounts that try to, try to ride on the coattails without creating any value like that. And they, they, you know, they fall on their faces, um, pretty, pretty embarrassingly. <clears throat> and some of them, um, they even do so in like a, a, a pretty shitty manner by like creating a bad, rap for the rest of the people in uh, you know in this whole uh, scene of this liberty scene you know they'll they'll rip off people's memes like jason i mean which is it's not we we want those to go out there but they'll like actively erase the watermark on it or um they'll um you know we we encourage people to 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 copy and paste all of our articles that are on the web you know on our website for free but some of these sites they'll go out there and they'll do it and they'll they'll run it as their own and um you know, without even like giving credit back to the Free Thought Project, which is, you know, we don't even go after anybody like that, but because we encourage people to share it. But it's just, it's deceptive. And when you come into the business with a deceptive mindset, I think that it just makes everybody in that whole realm look bad. So yeah, it's good. It's, it's good to have people like you out there, man. And um, on your memes and stuff, like with your T-shirt threads and stuff, the the little uh, you put you put a meme out. It's super viral. You have like some of the mo- the best memes on Twitter, by the way, and uh, yeah, and then enough. like you you have a shirt right underneath it that's uh that's like in the same vein or an ad for you like subtweet an ad for a shirt that's like in the same vein as that tweet, man. It's brilliant, dude. Yeah, well, like, that was sort of that that was sort of the whole like the name of the game in e-commerce is clicks. It's all about how many clicks you can get. So, like, 
you know, as soon as I have a meme, so like my definition of viral is a thousand likes or more. So if I get a thousand likes on a on a post, or if I'm going to within like 24 hours, then I will tag a little product on there, something like that. I used to do a lot of affiliate marketing, but the the revenue wasn't as big as, um, you know, my my clothing company. So that's really what I've been focusing on lately. Also, I've been dealing with like a lot of supply chain nonsense with the 3D printers because I, I buy them directly from um, the manufacturer in China as like a wholesaler. But it's gotten absolutely ridiculous where you have to you like I'll send like ten thousand dollars to some company in China, which already is like it makes you uncomfortable to do, and then you have to wait <laughs> yeah. like four months to receive the product, and it's like at that time like. The traffic on on the website has gone down. You have to go back to like advertising, so it isn't. Um, you got to stay on top of it in terms of e-commerce, but it's all about clicks and, and memes. It's it's like the best. It's the best currency of the internet if you think about it, because that's what drives clicks. That's what drives traffic. Yeah, they're like steroids for pages or accounts. Yeah, I've been saying that for years now. But yeah, I was, I was wondering, yeah. man. You have uh, you have great looking T-shirts. They're always like fresh concepts. Uh, same with your stickers and everything. So I was wondering, yeah, if you were creating those yourself or if you had somebody make them. And that makes sense if you got somebody helping you out with that and who's a, a bit of a professional or has a good eye for it. So I, I work with a number of people. Um, I don't know if you can, I don't know if you know you guys know uh, Lily Forrester. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Lily's a great agorist down in Mexico. She does a lot of stuff for Agora Threads. She does, like, all my logos and design work. Her and I work really closely together. Um, but, you know, I, I worked with other agorists and anybody out there who, if you're talented in design or something like that and you want to create content for the Liberty Movement, let me know. Give me a DM and we'll we'll put something together. That's awesome, man. Well, who does your T-shirts? Is it uh, not the design, but like the sale? Do you use Teespring or something like that? Uh, Printful. Printful. So what I found is like, so you have like Printify. So in terms of like print-on-demand companies, you have Teespring, Printify, and Printful. Um, I've used Printful um, since I've started just because I heard that they were they had the highest quality products. They're a little bit more expensive than other companies, I think. This might have changed since I started my story. This was like three, two, three years ago. But um they're, they've been great. The only the only issue I've had is um, they've they've tried to censor me a couple times. So I had like this one sick design. It was so awesome. It said like it was the Pepsi logo, but it said Pepsi didn't kill himself, and <laughs> it was it was like my favorite design. And they were like, no, this is like a like a Pepsi DMCA complaint. Yeah, right. Waiting to happen. So I had to pull that, and now I'm like. Trying, thinking of ways I can take these like censored designs and turn them into like NFTs somehow, but Ooh. I haven't, I haven't got that down yet. Yeah, that's where the big money seems to be right now. I mean, what's your thoughts on NFTs? Are they a fad or are they the future? Oh, they're definitely the future. Um, I've been telling my audience about the Tokimbrian explosion for years now. Um, like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with, like, the Cambrian explosion, which was, like, and you had, like, just one or two life forms just blossom into, like, thousands or hundreds of thousands of different life forms, different organisms. That's what we're experiencing with, with tokens and the tokenization of everything. I think NFTs, I just sold an NFT um, a couple days ago. That's another thing that I do. Like, I, I hired, um, I 
commissioned a, a, another libertarian agorist anarchist. Um, I don't know if you guys know who Top Lobster is on Twitter, yep. but he does some mm-hmm. amazing artwork, and I actually had him um, put together uh, a little Sam Konkin drawing, and I tokenized it on Solana and sold it on Solsi um, at, at a profit. So, you know, it's tokens are the future. All these crypto conferences I go to, um, that's that's the the talk of the town now is is tokens and NFTs and I don't think most people understand like how um, widespread the tokenization of everything actually is, mm-hmm. um, like especially in, like the metaverse. In the metaverse, everything is is an NFT, right? The the house that you live in, the clothes that your avatar wears, the shoes on your avatar's feet, it's all NFTs. So um, we're just getting started, and I think this is something that we should as Agorist, I think it's something that we should definitely be embracing, you know, other than making a whole generation of anarchists wealthy. Um, it's also sort of like, I guess a good way to think of it is like smart contracts put governance on chain, whereas NFTs put the item that's being governed on chain. So it really does sort of sort of leech away power from the state. And I think that's only going to, as we find more like innovative and different applications for NFTs that'll only increase. Yeah, and um there's actually the social media is going the way of the NFT too. Um there's uh like where every post that you make, even text or uh or if you upload a meme that 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 is an NFT. And um and they actually can generate revenue. You know, I'm I'm not sure if mine's considers it that uh that way, but there's another one called bbs.market and um it's the same thing. It's like uh, every post that the user makes, it's a, it's an NFT, and people can purchase it or uh, visit it, and it generates every social media user on the platform uh, revenue. And, and it's uncensorable, and it's on the blockchain. You know, the whole the whole website and or system is on the blockchain. And uh, I think I see that the way of the future, man. I think Steam it tried to do it. Uh, you know, a while you know, a while ago, we made we we did very well on Steam it back in the day. But I do believe, like Adam Kokesh said, it was a bit of a Ponzi scheme. And I think all the guys that are at the top of it, you know, they 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 became millionaires, and then everybody else that that rode the wave like got in way too late and didn't do anything on it. But I think social media networks like Mines and um and this BBS dot market that I'm recently become aware of um are the future for social media. Do you you realize like all this time that other regular people spend on facebook all day long scrolling their feeds or twitter you know imagine that like imagine you if you view all these memes that you posted you're getting paid for them you know right i mean some of these people on on these places are making tens of thousands of dollars um you know monthly and which is which is pretty amazing for just traversing the social media you know marketplace and basically not even no physical materials whatsoever all digital um nft based uh, content it's pretty amazing yeah and like look, look at um uh like like the brave browser how they like give bat tokens out mm-hmm. to people um it's it's very it's exactly what you're saying you know the, it's interesting because that's how i sort of got into nfts i was always sort of like interested in it and because of you know what i do and stuff like that and i'm in crypto and i know people who who do this um but i didn't actually start creating my own nfts until i saw someone um had actually jacked one of my memes and they were selling it on Solana on, on Solsi. They tokenized the meme on the Solana blockchain and they were selling it on Solsi. 
which is the marketplace for NFTs on Solana, for like $2,500. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong here? I'm like, am I crazy? So that was the end of that. Now I just tokenize everything. Yeah, that might be worth considering for us as well. I'm sure you guys saw that tweet, though. I think it was making the rounds for a little bit. It's kind of funny. It was something along the lines of like, I still think non-fungible sounds like it means cannot be turned into a mushroom. (laughs) Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, no kidding. But I I think, you know, while we talk about this, the bigger picture is becoming more and more clear. You know, we're exiting the age of information and we're moving towards the age of accountability. And uh, as as time goes on, I feel like there's just going to be more and more apparatuses like the blockchain, like NFT, to continue to place accountability where it's supposed to be and, and kind of have that transparency where we don't necessarily have it now, certainly not through governments. So that that's going to be exciting to see how this continues to, to grow and evolve. Yeah. I mean, even like, um, so like DAOs, that's like another, like enormous application of tokens. And that's going to bring more, that much more accountability to an area where there is none right now. Um, I mean, there's so much like the tokenization of securities and assets. Right. So, like right now, is that that's like a really good example that I always try to fall back on because it's so simple to understand for libertarians and anarchists. So, like, if, like we all we all understand how the Federal Reserve is sort of like a, a cartel of bankers and how that sort of distorts the the true money supply. In the same way, Finra is really just a, a, a cartel of brokers. So when we start to tokenize stocks and bonds and equities on the blockchain and we trade these in a decentralized fashion, all of a sudden the FINRA cartel has been broken. And that's going to unleash a wave of capital and innovation unlike anything the world has ever seen before. And um, we're finding new ways of doing this every day. So it's like from Bitcoin to like 3D printers to tokenized assets. Who knows what's going to come out tomorrow? So uh, I know you mentioned Samuel Konkin uh, a few minutes ago. It, it feels like it would be a disservice to our audience if we didn't bring him up yeah. and kind of what his role in the liberty movement has been. Are you much of an expert or know much about him? Can you speak on what he's done? Yeah, I mean, to the extent that he's an agorist, um, you know, he's def- he's obviously been one of the most influential thinkers in my life. Um, he's sort of like the the peak of Mount Everest like I I sort of think of my beliefs as like a mountain and like when you're young like you like sort of deal with like the basic level thinkers and you progress to more niche levels until you reach the one like ideology that you agree with and that's sort of conking for me he really put the pieces of the puzzle together for me it was always about logic and logical consistency for me and that's what sort of drove me into anarchism right it was sort of you know, look, if, if you understand why, you know, monopolies are harmful, why not apply that logic to police and courts and roads and militaries? And once I said, okay, well, you know, you have to be consistent, right? You have to, you know, to be logically consistent, that, that must be true. And in the same vein, um, I think Sam was right about the whole political and non-political approach. So for the audience out there who maybe doesn't know what we're talking about, Sam Konkin is the founder of Agorism, and he really was opposed to, um, it sounds ridiculous to even say, but he was opposed to political liberty. And if it sounds like a contradiction, it's probably because it is. And I don't think you can get liberty from politics. I think Sam was right. 
I think that's why it's largely been um, an unproductive effort to do that in the LP and um, even in the GOP or God forbid in the DNC. You're not. I don't think it's. You're not going to affect any meaningful degree of liberty that way. The only way to do it is through entrepreneurship. And like as Austrians, we know as Austro libertarians, we know that the only way to allocate resources in a market economy is through entrepreneurship. And so that's why we as agorists sort of stress entrepreneurship. If you want to allocate resources away from the state, you have to be an entrepreneur to do so. So he sort of just put all the pieces to the uh, pieces of the puzzle together in a way that made sense for me. And um, yeah, that was like a whole nother rabbit hole that I went down. You know, after Rothbard, you think, you know, all right, that's the rabbit hole of rabbit holes. <laughs> You're like, wait, there, there, there's more? Like, Sure. Yeah, it's kind of like the side quest, side mission from uh, anarchism, right. which uh, I think more people probably need to be aware of. And so, yeah, if you're listening to this and anything in this conversation has resonated with you, definitely check out some of Samuel Konkin's work. And also um, Carl Hess and mm. uh, Per Byland um, and, and yep. J. Neil Shulman, uh, for that matter, all, all great agorist thinkers and writers um, but even more so than that, look at the guys who've who've taken these these ideas and put them into practice, and learn from what they've done. Ross Ulbricht, Cody Wilson, um, all of these people, Satoshi Nakamoto, all of these people have found ways to disintermediate the state in some entrepreneurial fashion, and they've you know that's that's the whole idea is to make money and screw the state at the same time <laughs> right and as we've learned with ross Ulbricht, the state screws back after you know yes. once yeah. you do a big chink in their armor they uh they come for you hard man that's a tragedy actually well it is um go, go ahead oh i was gonna say I, I know we're on the same page because half the things that I was going to mention, or I wanted to talk about, like you, you say it like a few sentences beforehand. I, I did want to talk about uh, Cody Wilson. Uh, he's probably one of my favorite anarchists, maybe of all time. I, I just, just so we just wrap this up, what we were just talking about earlier this month, you had uh, mentioned, I think you tweeted something along the lines, like everyone is focused on creating more libertarians. Only agorists are focused on creating more liberty. So that's kind of basically what you were just saying, right? Literally, it's exactly my point. Sure. Um, Sure, sure. That's exactly it. You know, like, like even, look, I'm of the Ron Paul class. I have nothing but love and respect and admiration for Ron Paul. He's like, you know, he's the goat of the liberty movement. Um, but if you think about it, he didn't create more liberty. He created more libertarians, which was obviously that's a noble, worthy and noble cause. And it, it, he was, he excelled in it, probably unlike anyone else ever has. Um, but he didn't try to create Liberty, he tried to create more libertarians, and I think mm. like that's sort of um, a, a byproduct of the fact that he was acting politically. Like if you look at the, his bill to audit the Fed, um, it failed in the Senate right after Goldman Sachs made a bunch of political donations. So it's like, you know, the game is rigged. We're not going to make any progress this way. And if you compare the success of that document, what was it, H.R. 24, the bill to audit the Federal Reserve, with the success of Another document, the white paper, Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper, um, I think it's clear that the latter has been much more effective in protecting people from inflation and from, uh, you know, the banking cartel in general, whether or not that just means censored transactions or prohibited transactions. Yeah, that's a great point, man. And that kind of uh, leads me to kind of think about 
you know, we had a conversation with Pete Quinones a few months ago, and I know there's been some conflict within the liberty movement. I know some people have feels like he's kind of sold out or maybe gone more towards the right. But I, I think he's, uh, you know, he quoted the term living in at Ancapistan in your head. So I guess in some ways, like it, it's kind of similar to what you're saying. Like he, he's kind of gone more towards like the direct democracy route, localism. And you, instead of saying like, hey, we don't need to create more libertarians, we need to focus on actually creating liberty and the steps involved to, you know, producing that. So in some way, there's kind of like a, a overlap there, although I know you and Pete have had kind of some conflict ideologically, intellectually lately. Well, Pete is, Pete is like my brother. I love Pete. Sure, um, sure. Yeah, it's all in. You know. And yeah, no, we, um, you know, he's, he's a good friend of mine. We just we just have some disagreements on, on a couple of things. I've got more political disagreements with my own mother than I do with Pete Canones. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, you know, we disagree on like, like strategy and maybe like, that's it. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I mean, my thought on that is like, I, I disagree with, with, um, a lot of the paleos when they say things like we're living in a capistan, you're ahead of stuff like that. In my opinion, the way I see it is yes, I am free in my head. Like as soon as you accept agorism and the principles of Konkin, that's it. You're free. There's no waiting. There's no. You don't. You're not waiting for a vote at this point. It's all about being civilly disobedient in an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial fashion, and the response always is, "Hey, look at look what happened to Ross, right?" And we were just talking about that. What a tragedy is. But there is a, a role to be played and a conversation to be had about operational security. I think that really goes a long way, and it's something that. Um, most agorists, and I'm probably guilty of this myself, haven't focused on enough um, to sort of teach people and show people how they can use the tools that crypto anarchists create to sort of maintain some degree of security. But I think that we should be free, um, but that comes with the recognition, I think this is Pete's point, it comes with the recognition that the state will still act against you. It's just, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, sometimes that state action is, uh, you know, it, it's unbeatable <laughs> like in Ulbricht's case you know it sucks man he, he created a website and now he's in prison for the rest of his life and so I, I guess you know like the civil disobedient um you know agorism that we want to practice in real life doesn't always pan out to create more liberty I mean I guess individually I mean but for like for Ross Ulbricht what he did it it changed the world you know there's there's spinoffs of Silk Road like to this day that you can buy safe and rated drugs online, you know, instead of the, the getting like fentanyl from the street dealer that's going to or fentanyl laced whatever from the street dealer right. that you might drop dead after trying it. But it does come with a certain degree of risk, you know, when it, whenever you operate in this agoristic world. Um, and I think that, you know, that's it's important to, to be aware of that risk, you know. And it and it sucks. And I was uh, like, I've been into this for for over well over a decade. And um, and I used to be this. I didn't pay income tax. I I was I was hardcore. And then then I had children. And uh, you know I'm I don't want my children to grow up in a world you know where they're going to be taxed because taxation is theft. But at the same point, I don't want to be taken out of my children's world because I don't play this statist game. And you know and refuse to pay my taxes out of principle you know it's 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 a conundrum and a paradigm and it, it sucks you know but uh like there's it it that's why I, i'm like 
I, I respect where both Pete and you come from, and I think that there's a middle ground to be traversed there to where uh, the same goal can be achieved. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a little bit more nuanced than, um, than I think that some people let on. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> you I, know, I, I, I'm I not think... willing to go to jail for a principle of not paying taxes. Yes, I'll, I'll pay the fucking slave master his money so I can watch my kids grow up, you know. That's, I guess that's of course. My... You know. There's like, and this is something that Konkin talks about extensively in the New Libertarian Manifesto. There's like sort of like a risk tolerance. In fact, he even gives us a mathematical equation that we can use to calculate the, the cost risk, uh, you know, ratio. And, of, and yeah, I totally agree with you. Once someone has kids, that risk tolerance changes dramatically, right? It goes mm-hmm. down. But if you're like 17 and like you're going to get charged as a as a, a, a kid. Um, you know, when I was 17, I was doing all kinds of weird shit, terrible shit. And then I turned 18. I was like, I can't do this stuff anymore. <laughs> but um, the other the only other thing there um, that I, I would disagree about is like I would actually argue that civil disobedience become more effective when um, the state comes down on them. So they can jail Ross. They could keep him in prison until he, he's old and, and decrepit and dies. But um they can never take away the effect that, that he's had on the liberty community. And, and every, every bit of suffering that he has sort of just increases his magnitude. And this is something that I learned um, while writing the book Anti-Politics or putting together the book Anti-Politics. Um, you know, if you, when you look at, like, what Gandhi did, and, like, Gandhi's whole strategy was civil disobedience. And he had this thought, you know, his idea was... Look, we're, if, if they beat us, let let them beat you, and let that footage of them beating us, let the whole world see what they're doing to us, because it's really only through the suffering of the civil disobedient that we can sort of expose the brutality of the state to the masses. That's the whole. Mm-hmm. That's the at the root cause of civil disobedience. That's like this whole the root strategy of it. It's to take the mask off, and um, that's what Gandhi did. That's what Martin Luther King did. Um, that's when, if you, uh, if you ever read Henry David Thoreau's, um, essay, um, on, on the duty of civil disobedience, he, mm-hmm. he talks about this. He also speaks about, it. he says like the only place for a free man in Massachusetts is in, is, is in her jail cells. And that really has always resonated with me. I don't want to go to jail either. Of course I'm not, I try to mind my P's and Q's and I, I you know, I know that they're watching me. So I, I do use pretty good obsec when i have to but um yeah i think civil disobedience is really just sort of it's really the way to go about it but like you said earlier there is a risk tolerance everybody has to sort of factor in there yeah definitely if if you're not familiar with ross's story definitely go to freeross.com uh check it out read up uh, and write him a letter too Uh, he's actually sentenced to two life sentences plus 40 years uh, and so unless there's a miracle, he probably won't be getting out anytime soon. I'm sure he could use and appreciate some uh, fan letters and, and messages. But uh, I always love talking about this this type of stuff with uh, thought leaders like yourself, Sal. You know, it's, it kind of goes back to the heart of the, the debate within the libertarian community, which is principle or pragmatism, right? And it almost feels like now that I'm kind of evaluating it, thinking about what we talked about with Pete and talking about with you, there's almost like a third branch, which is like production or action. 
which is almost just as important as both both those other things. And by doing that, we're actually we're actually putting liberty forward instead of just talking about it or, or living in Ancapistan in our heads. And you know, knowledge without action really isn't going to accomplish much. So I know we have to wrap up here. There was just a couple more things I did want to talk about. I know you had mentioned your book. You had a, a book. I know last week we we talked to Dr. Patrick Newman about his new book. But you had a book come out in July, I think, of last year called Antipolitics, which is a collection of agorist essays and the foreword by Lily Forrester, who we were just talking about as well. Uh, Is there anything you want to plug or or talk about uh, regarding your book? Um, Definitely check the book out. That is sort of um, I'm really pleased with how the book came out. I was sort of worried like when I was done. I was like, well, it's done. So let me just put it out there. But um after I've went over it a couple times myself and I've gotten feedback and I, the longer, the more time that goes by, the happier I am with the final outcome. There's very little I would change about it if I can go back. So if I died right now, that would sort of be my like shining achievement. So definitely check out the book anti-politics. Um, other than that, um, you know, I'm going to, I'll be speaking at Anarchapoco next in a couple of weeks. Are you actually yeah, going I mean, to given... Acapulco, or are you doing the online? No, I'll do the online thing because I didn't want to have to jump the border. I know there's some there's some anarchists who are actually going to be jumping the border to get back into the country so they can get around the whole vaccine thing, but right. it's not really my cup of tea running from Border Patrol right now. So <laughs> I've, got like, <laughs> I've got like a lot of shit going on, so I didn't, that's probably not the best idea right now. But yeah, I'll be at Acapulco. Check that out. And other than that, you know, Follow me on all your different social media platforms, Sally Gorist, or just at Sally Mayweather, and that's it. Yeah, if you're not following Sal on Twitter, you need to. the The memes are like gut wrenchingly funny sometimes, and just eye opening. They're just it's great. You got to you got to follow him on Twitter. Yeah, I, I would second that. Sal has a great um, eye for viral memes, and he keeps his finger on the pulse. So it's not like you're hearing about yesterday's memes or yesterday's news or information. It's like tomorrow's news and information that it's out. true, dude. I've written so many articles on some of just the, the memes that you have that nice. you share there, man, or make or whatever. I don't know which ones are which, but yeah, sometimes I make the memes based on the articles. So where there you go. <laughs> complete the circle, right? Uh-huh. It just proves the hive mind of the internet and how powerful it really is. Exactly. You know, we're all kind of uh, bouncing ideas off each other and, Sometimes we don't even know each other or have any idea, you know, where we're located or anything like that. But it's just right. you know, that that old Ron Paul saying, you know, it's uh, you can't defeat a, a idea as time has come. And, uh, you know, I think we're learning that through the Internet on a daily basis. And uh, it's, it's still crazy to me that the censors and the fact checkers and these big, you know, social media companies think that they could actually really having any type of effective, uh, you know, recourse on really trying to thwart or change our minds or even try to just censor certain types of information. I mean, it's such a losing endeavor, you know, but they have billions of dollars to throw at it. And ultimately, I don't think they know. I think they know they're not going to win. I think it's more of being able to point at something and like, look, like we're trying to take care of this misinformation problem, which, you know, has been blown out of proportion, as we talked about. Uh, through the whole the fake news narrative and Russiagate and everything. So I, I think there's probably more of a reason behind why they're doing it than actually the futility of accomplishing, you know, a sanitized Internet as, you know, they lead us to believe that they want. Yeah, I don't think that they're interested in any of those things. I think that they want nothing but control and power. And, you know, like I said, they will 
censor anyone or any account that they think sort of questions uh, the orthodoxy. Right. Yeah, it's just the show, man. It's, uh, as the Germans say, mock show, you know, so it's all for <laughs> for the show. But, uh, dude, you're awesome, Sal. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, you're doing the good work, brother. Uh, very much appreciate all the different things that you've you know, you do for the Liberty community. I know you have uh, probably things that you don't even talk about necessarily, or we didn't talk about anyway on this podcast. So uh, yeah, thanks so much for everything that you're doing brother. And uh, thank you for your time today. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. Hell yeah, man. I'm glad we finally got together. It was a good one. <laughs> Agreed. Yes. Let's do it again soon. Awesome. Right,